So we're in Psalm 57 this morning. Uh, I love the life of King David. I love looking at the life of David throughout the scriptures. Uh, I would say that King David is perhaps the most fascinating Old Testament character, uh, at least for me. Or actually, I, I will even say, I think he's the most fascinating biblical character uh, throughout the whole uh, course of Scripture. To me, I think he's fascinating because his life was excruciating. If you think about it, if you think about David's life, there were so many events and trials and seasons and ups and downs and stressful uh, events that happened. We know a lot about David's life. If you think about actually King David himself, I actually would like to say too that I, I think we know more about David than almost any other character in the Bible. We know about his early years. We, we can read about those events where he saves his sheep from predators. We can read about that incredible scene where he is crowned or anointed as the next king among all of his brothers, even he being the youngest and smallest among them. We can read about his incredible, famous, infamous fight with the giant Goliath. We can le- read about his life on the run from King Saul. We can read about his life on the throne as sort of the preeminent ruler and leader of the nation of Israel. And read about his countless conquests as he leads Israel into battle over and over again. We can also likewise read about David's terrible sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And about the horrible consequences that happened after that. He is a famous Character, An infamous Bible character. And his life is riddled with perhaps more scandals, more ups and downs than we could ever hope to imagine. And yet, how is David remembered? He's still remembered as the man after God's own heart, it says in the scriptures. It says that twice, actually, in 1 Samuel 13 and in Acts 13. It describes David as the man after God's own heart. Yet, despite all of that. Despite all of David's life, he's remembered that way. It's always struck me as curious. But if you examine David's life and you examine most of his writings, especially the writings that are in the Psalms, I think you'll come to realize why he's remembered that way. And I think the reason why David is remembered as a man after God's own heart, even despite all of that horrible, harrowing seasons of his life, is because he was honest and vulnerable and real with God. He never disguised his emotions. He never tried to pretend that what he was going through wasn't difficult or when he was hurting that he wasn't really hurting. He went to God and he went to God and showed and gave voice to all of the things that were deep inside of him. He let God know that when he was hurting, when he was in pain, when he was stressed, when he was was feeling alone or forgotten or overlooked or not heard, when he felt as if he was being pushed to the brink of what he could handle, he let God know that. Such is why I think we can relate to him so much. David went through things that we can never hope to imagine go through. And we can relate to David. Why? It's because he gives voice to all of those griefs that he went through. He's, you can turn to the Psalms and you can find a relevant word in the Psalms for your present condition, your present circumstances. And I think that's especially true here in Psalm 57. As David 
uses this really, I, I think, beautiful but also effective uh, piece of imagery to describe his comfort, even, yes, as he's running from King Saul. You'll notice verse 1 again, Psalm 57, 1, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. David's only refuge, his only place of safety and security uh, as he is running from Saul is, as he says here beautifully, the shadow of God's wings. The shadow of God's wings. It's figurative language. Language that is meant to put that picture in your mind and distill for us exactly what God is like. It's picturesque of his care and his comfort that he gives to us. I want to highlight this theme because the shadow of God's wings, that covert, that hiding place, that refuge, is something that appears all throughout the Psalms. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 17, verse 8, you'll notice it here again. Psalm 17, verse 8 says this. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Or look at Psalm 36. Psalm 36 in verse 7 repeats this same theme. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Or a few pages over from our text. In Psalm 63 verse 7 it says this. Because you have been my help. Therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Or how about most uh, most, uh, famously in Psalm 91. Turn to Psalm Psalm 91. This theme uh, appears again. This uh, uh, in Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, verse 2, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And then how about the psalm that we read last Sunday, Psalm 121. Look at Psalm 121, verse 5. The psalmist says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Over and over again throughout the psalms, the the point is that Jesus, God himself, the almighty God, as he is described here in Psalm 57, the most high God, he comes and he covers us with the shadow of his wings. You might remember too that Jesus uses the same terminology in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, he is lamenting over the city Jerusalem. And he, he describes how he would cover Jerusalem as a mother hen covers her chicks. It's indicative of the care, the, 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 the deep comfort that he wishes to give to his people, his children. Children like you and like me. And, and just for David... There existed no other place of safety and reprieve than in the Lord's shadow. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher uh, over at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, he said this. 
No shelter can be imagined at all comparable to the protection of Jehovah's own shadow. You can see that throughout the Psalms. Each time the psalmist is bearing his soul, whether it be David or Asaph or Moses, whoever it is writing, they find comfort in the shadow of Jehovah. In that picturesque, glorious image of him comforting and dealing and speaking peace into life's struggles and stresses. There's no other place like it. So this morning, I want to walk through Psalm 57. I want to show you this morning three privileges that are afforded to those who abide in God's shadow and just exactly what that means. So three privileges that are given to us who are in God's shadow this morning. First of all, number one, in God's shadow, you are free to cry. In God's shadow, you are free to cry. Look at David. He says that he is abiding in the shadow of your wings, verse one. And look at verse two. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. And look at verse 4. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. You know, it's interesting and curious to me that we can empathize with all of David's distress, even though his circumstances are totally like anything we have ever felt or could even imagine to feel. Because remember, remember who David is running from. David is running from King Saul, his best friend's dad. His best friend's dad is wanting to kill him, who actually threw a spear at him and tried to murder him in his own courtroom. And David fled, and now he's on his, the run for his very life. He's on the run from the king whose throne he would one day, uh, he is promised to one day occupy. David is in a situation unlike anything we could ever imagine to be in. And here he's on the run. And if you have a Bible with those little subheadings, you might notice that this one says that this is a mictum of David when he fled from Saul into the caves. There are several instances of this in 1 Samuel. Think about 1 Samuel, I think it's 22 and chapter 24. Talking about him in the caves. Taking covert there, taking refuge in those remote locations. And notice, he cries out to God in that very setting. Notice how he describes his pursuers. Look at verse 4 again, because he describes them with such ferocity. Look at what he says, my soul is among, is being chased, being hunted by lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. They are ravenous predators that are coming after me, he is essentially saying. Whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Saul, his jealousy raged against David. And now David... The future king of Israel is now a fugitive of the very kingdom he has been prophesied to rule. He's running away from the current king, King Saul. And he's running for his own life. And he's among rocks and he's in caves. Think about that. Think uh, Samuel comes and he anoints David and he says one day you will rule over Israel. And then... A couple of years later, David finds himself asleep on the floor of a cave. 
Worried about whether he is going to be hunted and taken and killed by the very man who is his best friend's dad. David is in a stressful, I can say that with all the force of the word, stressful season of life. And this is the setting of David's prayer. The setting of David's crying out to God. And he cries out, why Why are you free to cry when you're in the shadow of the Almighty? Because you know the one who is listening. You know the one who is listening to you. Yes, even in that very cry. In that very season as David himself describes it here in verse 1. In that season of calamity. Notice he says verse 2. I will cry out to God most high. To God who performs all things for me. And he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. God most high is the one who is listening. The one who is ruling over everything. He is listening to David's cry. To David's forceful, fearful, emotional prayer to God. It was God the most high who was listening. And I think that's uh, true and indicative of all of David's psalms and cries. He knows who is listening. That's why he's so willing and bold and confident and shameless when he goes before God and cries out to him and says, God, heal me. God, listen to me. God, send forth your armies to save me. He's confident. He knows who's listening. He knows the type of God he has. Your willingness, your boldness to cry in God's shadow stems from a knowledge of who your God is and what he is like. He is a God who doesn't stop his ears, plug his ears to our cries of distress, to our cries of fear, to our cries of anxiety, to our cries of of worry, to our cries of suffering. You know, if you look at the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. A little over 60 of them are what would be described as sort of Psalms where David is crying out in vexation. He's crying out from the deepest part of him that what is going on is grievous and, 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 uh, and, and he's in agony. He's in anguish. It's very clear to me then. That the Bible itself gives us ample space to, uh, to voice our suffering. To voice our grief. And why? Because we're given the promise that God hears us. That God is still listening. Let's turn over a couple pages to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. And look at verse 19. Because these words are incredibly, uh, Lord, uh, incredibly powerful. Let me read verse 16. Psalm 66. Look at verse 16. It says, Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. And he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. 
I cried, I cried out to God, and what is the answer? He heard me. He did not turn away my prayer. He did not refuse to listen. He didn't plug his ears. He didn't pretend that he was deaf to our cries. Have you ever done that to one of your kids? Pretended that you just didn't listen because you were hoping that what they were asking for would not become the thing that they wanted, so you just pretended that you were deaf for just a few seconds? You don't have to raise your hands, because I've done it. (laughs) I know we're probably all raising our hands in our heads. I just think about that, because God never does that. As menial of a thing that we can cry over, he never turns a deaf ear to our cries of distress. To our cries of suffering. And we are encouraged therefore. To voice our hurt and our hardships to him. Because he hears us. He listens. He, we are encouraged to do so in the assurance that he, will, that he wants to hear you. In the season as David is describing it. In the season of calamity. He knows who is listening, and he is free to cry in God's shadow. Number two, let me hasten. Number one, in God's shadow, you are free to cry. Number two, in God's shadow, you are free to rest. Look at verse two again of our text back in Psalm 57. He says, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. This is another privilege. Of those who are resting in God's shadow. That you are able to rest from all the troubles and trials that come up in your life. Now, uh, let me just uh, explain it this way though. Because this freedom to rest, this freedom to be sort of untroubled by the troubles that you are facing and feeling and seeing all around you does not come from from pretending those troubles do not exist. It doesn't come from closing your eyes and stopping your ears and hoping that all of these pains and problems will just go away. Christians, we are not ostriches who bury our heads in the sands when hard times come. When suffering is happening all around us. Let me just pretend that it doesn't exist. It's not helpful. It's not hopeful. Like David. We can face those problems and pains and griefs. And heartaches. We can face them and we can voice them to God. And the remembrance that this one is with us. And this is what David shows us. He readily admits the things that are causing him uh, fear and agony and anxiety. And he voices them to this God who is listening. And yet he's free to rest. Why? Because he knows the one who is with him. He knows that when he prays that God answers. He doesn't just listen. When he he listens, he answers. Look at verse 3 again. After this cry, it says, He shall send from heaven and save me. He shall bend down his hand, his divine hand from heaven, and save me from my calamity. This is God's answer. That he would send forth his salvation as he continues there. His, as he says at the end of verse 3, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And in that David rests. That all of that comes from his God. But I want to point out quickly. That word there that interrupts the flow. 
and verse 3. Selah. Have you ever done a, a, a word study on that word? Because it's really fascinating to me. Because what it means, Selah, occurs over 70 times throughout the Psalms. And it's a musical sort of indicating mark that would note a time when those who are singing the psalm would pause, stop. All the music would stop, the singing would stop, and every worshiper and congregant would pause for a moment of reflection and meditation on the truth that was just sung. So it's like if we're singing Amazing Grace and we have a pause after every single verse. It seems kind of intrusive, (laughs) It seems kind of like it's interrupting the flow of worship, if we can say it that way. And I think that's precisely the point. It's precisely the point that these little intrusive marks would appear there so that we could pause and, yes, reflect and rest. To let the truth sink in of what was just sung. Because if you look at almost every instance of the word Selah, it's almost always preceded by a stanza that is sung exalting God's sovereign might and mercy. Look at, look at Psalm 32 verse 7. Psalm, a couple pages back. Psalm 32 verse 7. Here David is Praying to God here. And he says you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. There he's resting. He's pausing and reflecting and meditating on this fact that this God who forgives is his hiding place. His preserving uh, place of deliverance. Deliverance which is as he says they're surrounding him. Or look one page over from our text in Psalm 61. Psalm 61, look at verse 3. He says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. He's pausing, reflecting. Meditating from all uh, that is going on around him. He's pausing and realizing just the type of God that he has. Because in God's shadow he is free to rest. He is free to pause. And to praise. And to exalt this God. This God who yes is mighty and merciful. But who exercises that might and that mercy on his behalf. Who extends that might and that mercy for him. David is in all of that. I think constantly throughout the Psalms. He is in awe of the fact that this mighty, this merciful God. This God most high who is above the heavens. Is reaching down into David's situation. And exercising might and mercy on his behalf. In his situation. In his very life. And that's exactly what we are invited and called to be mindful of as well. That we have a God who exercises might and mercy for us. For his good and yes, our, uh, our good and his glory. We are invited to rest in this shadow. Which gives us the opportunity and the space to rest. And I would like to call it God's shadowy presence. That he hasn't left us. He hasn't forgotten about us. 
And that he not only listens to us, he acts and answers on our behalf. This is the promise of Scripture. The persistent promise of Scripture is that, that we do not have an escape from our present distress, but we have God's presence in the middle of it. That even as we, as David says, that he's going to rest in the shadow of God's wings until these calamities have passed by. Why? Because he knows that in that shadow, he is able to walk through that calamity. Maybe not unscathed, but he walks through it with that presence. That presence that God's shadow has never left him and it never will. However grim, um, however dark, however troublesome, tiresome, wearisome your season is, God's mercy and truth that he extends to us, as he says in verse 3, it has never wavered an inch. It is, inch. It is still extended to you. It is still given to us. And he's willing and he's waiting to extend it to us. He's waiting on our cries of distress. I'm so thankful for this God who allows us, who frees us to, to cry and to rest in his shadow, in the, his shadowy presence. Our suffering is, is not stronger than God's shadow. It's not stronger than this God most high who rules over every season and moment of our lives. But that leads me to the third privilege in our text this morning. In God's shadow you are free to cry. In God's shadow you are free to rest. But lastly, I want you to look at verse 7 through the end of the, of the chapter. In God's shadow you are free to rejoice. Look at what he says. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens, and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So we see here this progression. From crying to resting to now rejoicing. Rejoicing in that presence. Rejoicing in the shadow of God's presence. From one who is desperate, who can only see the calamity all around him. Now he is singing, as he says, exalting this God most high. This God who is the God of the nations. Who has his mercy reaching down from the heavens. In this shadow, he is, as he says, steadfast. Notice he says that same phrase twice in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O oh Lord. My heart is steadfast. Because he knows that this presence, the shadowy, powerful presence of God is never going to be taken away from him. He knows that this shadowy presence means that God, the God most high, is working even when he can't see it. Who is reigning even though he can't feel it. And he sings because, as he says in verse 10, this unfathomable mercy and truth. Notice verse 10. He says, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. 
It's mercy and truth that he cannot even comprehend. He can't even measure its vast expanse, its vast ramifications for him in his life right now. This promise of faithful love, the faithful love of God, is given to him and it can always be counted on. He'll never be taken away. And he praises him for this loving kindness, this Loving kindness of God that comes down from the heavens. David learned this firsthand. He learned firsthand just what it meant to live in God's shadow. He was pushed to the brink. He was exhausted and exasperated constantly throughout his early years. Throughout his kingly reign even too. He learned firsthand what it meant to have his only hope be his only hope. He learned what it meant to have this blessing, the blessing of God's shadow. And he could rejoice in it. Because it had become real to him. And for us, it's the same. Uh, Because the penultimate blessing of God's shadow, the one that should make us just shout for joy this morning, comes when you realize whose shadow you are in. Whose shadow you're resting in, you're crying in, you're rejoicing in. Because the shadow that provided David refuge is the same shadow that purchased your redemption. Let me take you to this incredible verse. And I'll close in just a moment. Look at Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3 with me, will you? Colossians chapter 3. The shadow that provided David refuge is the same shadow that purchased your redemption. Look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when Christ who is our life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. You are hidden in Jesus' shadow. You are hidden in the shadow of the crucified Christ, whose death becomes your death, and whose life becomes your life, and whose righteousness is gifted to you in the gospel of grace. So the shadowy presence of God is the real presence, the shadow of the one who took all your sin and felt all your suffering on the cross for you. Who felt it all and bore it all because he could bear it all. Because in his shadow you are safe. When you appear before God, you know who Jesus or you know who, who God sees? He sees Christ. It's that incredible meaning of the verse of verse 4. In Colossians, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's what the great reformers called the great exchange. This glorious, incredible transaction that happens in the gospel. That when our faith is put in Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer. That all of our sin is taken off of us and all of his righteousness is put on on us. That great and glorious exchange. Which happens only by Jesus' death on the cross. His glorious action on the cross. Where he suffers 
for our suffering. For he dies for our sins. And he purchases our redemption in which in his shadow we are hidden. We are hidden in the shadow of the one who died for us. Let me read you this passage. It's one of my favorite writers, Octavius Winslow. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s. And he writes this incredibly affecting passage. He says, Christ Jesus is our sanctuary Beneath whose shadow we are safe. Christ Jesus is our strong tower. Within whose embattlements no avenger can threaten. Christ Jesus is our hiding place. From the wind and covert from the tempest. And not one drop of the wrath to come. Can fall upon the soul that is in him. Oh how completely accepted. And how perfectly secure. The sinner who is in Christ Jesus. This is the safety, the refuge of the shadowy presence of God. It's the shadow of Christ who hides us in his unflinching righteousness, in his unblinking grace. He hides us in that and allows us to stand before the Father as sinners who are justified. Who are made righteous. Who are declared as though they are forgiven. Because they are in the shadow of Christ. You see. In the shadow of the almighty. We have a friend who is with us. Through all of life's storms. And this friend is none other. As David says back in Psalm 57. Who is none other than the most high God. The maker of heaven and earth. The master over all things. He comes to us. As a friend. As a friend of sinners. And casts his shadow over us. In his death on our behalf. And in that shadow, we are free to cry, free to rest, and free to rejoice. Because we have a God who comes close to us. So close to cast a shadow over you. This is what he's done in Jesus. This is what he has done for you. Rest, my friends, in the shadow of the Almighty. Let us pray.